The WNBA is getting two new teams, plus we have MLB Division Series play-by-play announcer Brian Anderson on later in the show. It's Friday, October 6th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. The WNBA is growing to 14 teams. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hello. All right. So uh, where is the WNBA coming to? So they have officially announced a new team that's going to be in the Bay Area. We don't have a name yet, but they're going to play at the Chase Center, and they're going to be owned by the Warriors ownership group that's led by Joe Lacob and Peter Goober. And this is a first-class organization that's, you know, for many years been a top performer on and off the court in the NBA. And the clear expectation is that they're going to do the same in the WNBA. So that's officially done. What is not yet officially done, but has reached the Board of Governors stage and is pretty darn close, is a team in Portland as well. So two West Coast teams likely going to result in a little bit of uh, league realignment. But uh, it's a big deal because this is the league's first expansion in 15 years. There's been a number of team relocations since then and some movement among the existing franchises, but to actually increase the number of teams, a big growth marker for this league. Yeah, and certainly, you know, first and foremost, it's that, that this league feels ready to grow and that there's the market for it. The The choice of the Bay Area and Portland are interesting ones to, I think, very good markets. Um, at the same time, it's a small enough league that there are still a couple notable omissions from where the league currently plays. I would throw in Boston and Philadelphia as maybe the two most, um, you know, towns where you think of them as like big sports markets that are still not represented here. At the same time, if you only have 14 teams, that's going to be the case when other leagues have, you know, 30, 32. Um, but yeah, it, I, I, it was notable, I think, that this is a West Coast move. Yeah, and and it's another good sign of growth for this league that you have markets and prospective owners and prospective host buildings and so on and so forth really upset that they didn't get their bite at the apple this time around, and maybe it'll come around again here. Uh, But, you know, women's sports overall clearly having a moment, and we've seen all sorts of historic growth in women's soccer and women's ice hockey and so on, and this is part of what – the WNBA was looking at these markets in particular, you know, real strong base of support for women's sports. Cause at the end of the day, these are businesses and they've got to, they've got to make their budgets every year and, and so on. And, and this is where they felt at this point that there was going to be a, enough fan support, corporate support, media support uh, to really make these uh, uh, franchises go from day one. Yeah, and this expansion obviously is another chapter in that women's sports moment. What data do we have to kind of fill out what this means here? Yeah, and you know where we're at is that WNBA. We're about to start this, uh, you know, really great clash of the titans finals between the Las Vegas Aces and the New York Liberty, and it's coming on the heels as well of a regular season where we saw. Best attendance in a number of years, best uh, national television audience, you know, again, sort of best in five or six years, you know, record levels of social consumption, all those sort of basic indicators, uh, you know, the WNBA relative to itself, you know, now 20 plus years into its history, they're at historical high points here and continuing to grow. And so that's that's the base that they're they're working from. And again, like I was saying, 
how do you take this in the best possible way and put these new franchises in the best position to succeed? And that's where they made this decision to go to these two particular markets. But again, I, this isn't the end of the story that they're ma- making these decisions now to get these teams up and running for 2025. Um, but I, I think we're going to hear more of this maybe in another year or two years that we're going to see more franchises coming on for 26, 27, 28, uh, because the demand is growing and the demand is is there now and it's going to continue to be there. Right. And because the NBA obviously is already a thing, there are arenas that can house these teams. Right. You know, let's say like with um, the Bay Area team going to the Chase Center where the Warriors play. Um, that team, so they're, they've committed to 50 million, 50, five, zero million dollars, yep. um, uh, to come in. Is that essentially an expansion fee? Mostly an expansion fee, but also some commitment to, uh, facilities, team operations and so forth, sort of a, a an omnibus commitment, um, and again, this is more than just the money. Um, as I said at the outset, the, the Warriors operation, it just, really, really skilled, very high performing. And, and, and all the NBA rankings year after year, they're at the top of the list in terms of ticket sales, ticket revenue, sponsorship revenue, and so on. And Joe Lacob has come right out and say the expectation that the, this new team is going to be right at the top of the list and all of those business markers in the WNBA as well that, you know, he talks a big game, but he's backed it up for many, many years with the Warriors. And there's no reason to think that the same wouldn't happen here uh, on the women's side as well. Yeah, in a world where people tend to not have fond feelings for their their sports team owners, I can say that Joe Lacob has a, a pretty good reputation out here in the Bay um, Eric Fisher, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Jacksonville Mayor Donna Deegan went to visit the Jaguars' second home in London and was asked about the future of their main home at TIAA Bank Field. As you'll recall, the Jaguars want a new stadium. They want about $1 billion in public money for it. The team president, Mark Lamping, made statements that sounded a lot like a threat to leave if they don't get the money. And then when news outlets, including this one, reported on that, he said, whoa, 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 that was taken out of context. We really want to stay. On that whole topic... Deegan laid out the core issue here. She said, quote, I've had so many community meetings since I was elected, and I hear over and over again, people don't want to spend public money on the stadium. She goes on, 80% say they don't want to spend the money, 80% don't want to lose the Jags. Those two things are simply mutually exclusive, so an agreement must be reached. The core tension here is that the Jaguars and the NFL could make this work without public money, but they know they can get public money by saying we'll leave if we don't get it. So now they have to figure out what number between zero and a billion works well enough for everyone involved. Checking in on a story we covered previously, Tez Walker will finally get to suit up for the North Carolina Tar Heels for their game against Syracuse on Saturday. Walker was granted an exception to an NCAA rule that requires athletes to sit out a year if they transferred schools twice due to some combination of the facts that his transfer related to family and mental health issues and that he never actually played football for one of the other schools he attended. So that's resolved. But not everyone is leaving the situation with a good feeling here. The NCAA, in its statement reinstating Walker, said, quote, UNC's behavior and decision to wage a public relations campaign is inappropriate and outside the bounds of the process UNC's own staff supported. Had the UNC staff not behaved in this fashion and submitted this information weeks ago, this entire unfortunate episode could have been avoided. The NCAA seems unhappy that UNC did things like get the North Carolina governor to write a letter on Walker's behalf. The less clear part of this is what they're referring to regarding information that wasn't previously submitted. Either way, 
Walker missed four games, and UNC and the NCAA are blaming each other for that. And this dispute feels like maybe we haven't heard the last of it. Up next, my colleague Doug Greenberg spoke to Brian Anderson, who does play-by-play -play for the Milwaukee Brewers during the regular season, and will be doing the same for the upcoming division series between the Braves and the Phillies on TBS. That conversation is coming up next. Joining the podcast now is a veteran play-by-play -play announcer. Uh, he will be calling the National League Division Series on TBS starting this Saturday. Uh, please welcome to the show, Brian Anderson. Brian, how you doing? I'm doing good, Doug. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Yeah, pleasure to have you in here. Um, so as we just alluded to, you're going to be calling the NLDS uh, with the Braves, the Atlanta Braves, who have actually been on TBS for a very long time. Uh, Ted Turner started showing the team in 1973. So we are 50 years into this, you know, I guess you could call it a very unique arrangement um, in the sports media world. You know, I guess in just in your mind, how does it feel to be part of that history? And especially this year, uh, given the Braves look like, you know, the, the World Series favorites right now. Well, it's cool. I mean, TBS does have a long baseball history and all the people that I worked with when I first started were a lot of those individuals who came from the old Ted Turner TBS days, the Superstation, the Braves. I'm of that age where I grew up watching that. We didn't have all these channels, you know, back when I was a young kid. So uh, when TBS and WGN came onto the scene, it just opened up a whole new world, you know, to be able to watch other teams besides, uh, in my case, the Houston Astros, to be able to see Braves games and and Cubs games. So there's a long thread of baseball history through the TBS history itself. Um, but, you know, our our current history is more from a national perspective. And then, you know, we've been doing this 17 years. I think it's so funny because every year we start the postseason and, you know, I feel like people are scrambling to figure out where TBS is because they have baseball. Well, we've been here since 2007 covering the postseason. And we do every Tuesday. We used to do every Sunday. In the last few years, we've done every Tuesday. And um, I know it's a, it's a little bit different spot on the channel, but uh, we do have a lot of great baseball people that are involved. And with those roots going back to the Glenn Diamonds and the Lonnie Dales, the people who kind of put Turner baseball on the map back in those Braves days. And so there's a lot of, you know, once and second generation holdovers from that original crew. Um, so that's a cool thing to be a part of. And it's one of the reasons why I was so eager to sign on with TBS when I first had a chance. This is my 16th year calling the postseason for TBS, but they were actually around a year prior to me joining. So this is our 17th year doing it in this current format. It's funny you say that because it, it does feel like, even though, you know, this has been 16 years, uh, it's still, you're right, it feels like almost out of place for postseason baseball to be on TBS, even though we, we should be so used to it by now. And there's so much uh, uh, history on it. And it's interesting, too, because, uh, you know, you talk about kind of the changing landscape of sports media, um, you know, TBS uh, starting to show Brave game, Braves games 50 years ago was a was a moment in that time. But also what's interesting is this is going to be the first, I believe, this is going to be the first time that the postseason is going to be simulcast on the WBD streamer Max. 
Um, so, you know, does that change anything for you? Uh, do you know, or, and I guess, how do you feel about being part of that sort of changing landscape, uh, yet again in, in broadcasting with streaming, getting into the mix? Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't change anything in the way we execute the games. I mean, we still just do the games, you know, kind of the way we do them. And, and I think it's, that's probably important to keep that kind of standard. I think it, you know, it does affect how we as a company, not me specifically, but we as a company think about graphics, you know, the size of graphics, the colors of the graphics, knowing that a good chunk of audience may be streaming this on a phone or on an iPad, some kind of smart device. So that that would definitely come up. The way we use animations coming out of StatCast, you know, those, so I'd, I'd say on some level, those things are, at least we're conscious of it. And we want to make sure that both entities are being served, but generally we're, we're just covering the game. Um, you know, like the, where we put our bug, the thing that has the score and the pitch clock and the runners on base, you know, those are decisions that are made with the streaming in mind. And, and, but as a philosophy, just as a company to be a part of something like that, it's always cool to be a part of innovation and change and, we're in a real crossroads in television right now, as you know, um, just, you know, the RSN model is, is, doesn't seem sustainable. Um, we're moving into streaming in, in our way from a network cable perspective and to be able to basically give you the same feed that you can watch on television, on your actual TV, on TBS, and then to be able to get into the car, go to the to the pool or outside to the patio and then be able to stream that same product. Uh, that's never been done before. And that's, that's a really cool thing to, to be a part of, but no, it doesn't change what we do, but it also, as far as morale goes, just knowing like we're kind of first to it. And, um, you know, we're at least in this, in the way we are releasing the product, you know, we're, we're the first to it where you can basically wherever you want to take it in, you can take it in, whether it's on television, on old school cable, uh, or whether it's on streaming on a device. So I, I love that that part of it, and I love being able to um, be a part of a company that is constantly pushing the envelope on things like this technology. And uh, you know, we have great resources here, and we're you know we're always tinkering with our own our own product when we're on the air, our cameras, the way where we put our cameras, our sound design whether we put mics and bases, the animation that we use, working with StatCast, um, microphones on umpires. We're always trying to add to the access and the experience. So this is kind of like above what we do, but also be able to deliver that to a wider audience is really cool. And I'm, I'm glad that we're doing that this year. And I'm glad baseball is how they are launching Mac streaming. Um, I just want to go back to something you you mentioned really quickly about kind of the state of RSNs. Um, I know that you're, you know, you call Brewers games for Valley Sports Wisconsin. Um, you know, where do you kind of see that part of uh, of the business going right now? Well, it's very matter of fact. I mean, the, you know, people are leaving our cable on some level and just streaming and, you know, especially the younger generation and their stream. My daughter's 23 and she, she just streams. So um, I think that's a reality that we're all having to deal with, and that's understandable. So basically, the RSNs have no choice, and that has left the teams themselves to try to figure out where 
their next distribution will be, whether that is only streaming, whether that's over the air. And we're seeing a lot of NBA teams do that. Um, I think the Utah Jazz are a really good example at that. The Phoenix Suns are taking measures. The Houston Astros and Rockets are coming up with some kind of merger. So I think more of those things are coming. So, you know, the next few years, as all this kind of fleshes itself out, we'll find out where where the audience is and how the audience is taking it in. You know, in baseball, what I do with the Brewers, um, the ratings just came out. Like the Milwaukee Brewers are the smallest market in Major League Baseball, and yet they we had the third highest ratings in among all the teams. Like that's insane. We're drawing over a five rating. So there's an audience for it. People want sports, of course. So I think it's going to be just the transition from thinking of the RSNs as from a team perspective, as a sponsor that pays you money and then distributes your product versus now, you know, more like a player where that's an expense, maybe under the marketing head that then you distribute your product to an audience. So that's going to be a painful transition in the beginning. But as advertisers start to line up, as long as the audience numbers are there, I don't pretend to know all of what goes into that, but there is a hunger for it, an audience for it. So um, it'll probably level itself out, but it is, it's going to be a major mess. And you're as a viewer or a, a listener, you're probably going to be finding yourself constantly searching for places to go find your games, which back to our original point, which is why Max streaming these games and streamlining everything they do, the product they put on their air all over their portfolio to then all have it in a central location on Max for their streamers is a major breakthrough. Tech, you know, from a technological perspective, from a content perspective, from a marketing perspective, to have all those ducks lined up where we can actually deliver all of that in one place. Um, that's pretty cool. And that's that kudos to all the the brilliant minds that actually made that happen. You know, we we forget about all the skilled men and women behind the scenes that are actually making this widget work for all of us. You know, we like to just be dumb and click something and be able to watch it. And we, that's the whole point, you know, so we're, we want to stay down that way. <laughs> so, but there are a lot of people uh, behind the scenes that are doing incredible work every day to help this transition along and give you, the viewer, the audience, what you want, which is uh, sports content. Before I let you go, I, I'm going to, you know, do one baseball related question. Let's preview the the rest of the postseason a little bit. Who do you who do you got winning the World Series? Who do you think's <laughs> going far? And 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 give me your a little bit of rationale. Yeah, well, I'm not sure. I don't. The prediction game is uh, not not a great spot for me. That's uh, why I don't gamble because I'm a terrible predictor. But I will say the Braves through the regular season <clears throat> had the best team in baseball uh, for a reason. They are vulnerable. They do have some holes. Oh, with their pitching, they've had some injuries recently. Uh, the Dodgers are perennial power. So obviously they're the one and two seeds when we start this tournament for a reason. Um, but in baseball, you just don't know if you can get a hot team, a hot pitcher, a hot bullpen, like we saw with Atlanta in 21, like we saw with the Phillies last year, who were the last team in, and then they made it all the way to the World Series. Um, that that's you know, that's important because baseball is a game 
of streaks and uh, it's a mindset, it's a craft, it's a skill sport. Uh, you can't try harder in baseball. Uh, you almost have to try less and be confident. And so those are all the things that come into play. So I, I can't give you a prediction because I really don't know. And that's what makes uh, the baseball postseason so interesting is that the overwhelming favorites rarely win, but they're always present. And so I, if I, you know, I guess if I had to pick one team, I'd say the Atlanta Braves because they had the, the best record throughout the regular season. And they look like they have this lineup, this offense that is probably one of the greatest lineups in the history of the game. So I'll go with them if you need, if you need one, Doug, but don't hold me to that. We will not hold you to it, uh, and I appreciate the safe bet. Uh, we're going to let you ret- let you rest your voice uh, for the upcoming series. Brian Anderson, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, good to be with you. Thanks. That is it for today. Subscribe and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your weekend. We'll see you Monday.